Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to part four of Darker Demons. When we left off last time, Alexandra was explaining to Tom who she thought was responsible for kidnapping her and saying she thought it was her boyfriend Jake and her boss Caitlin and that they had been having an affair and set her up to make it look like she had killed Caitlin's husband and she's trying to figure out why they didn't kill her as well. And so we pick up the conversation with Alexander talking and she says, they kill the judge, take his money and run off to some tropical island. I guess they thought pinning his death on me was the perfect way to be rid of both of us. I'd love to check out the hospital I was in and see if they left any evidence behind, she says. Tom offers his opinion. I doubt they would have been careless enough to do that, and they may be watching the place, hoping you'll come back. You're probably correct, Alexandra says. What did you say? Tom asks, startled. I said, you're probably correct. Why? Was I talking quietly? No, but I swear it sounded like you were speaking a different language, sort of like French. French, Alexandra replies. In fact, the only language I speak is English. I must be imagining things, Tom answers. Why don't you make up that list of supplies for me while I clean up in here? Are you sure you don't want me to help? You did all the work making breakfast. I'm sure, Tom insists. Caitlin wakes up alone. Jake is gone. She rolls over and buries her face in his pillow, greedily taking in his aroma. She lingers a while, remembering their lovemaking from the night before. Thinking out loud, she says, I've never felt like this before, like I would die without him. What has he done to me? Gazing at herself in the mirror, she has the eerie feeling she's not alone in her own body. It is not the first time she's felt it. The ringing phone startles her. She jumps, dropping her dress to the floor of the closet. Ignoring the phone, she leans over to pick it up. Something tucked behind a pair of Jake's shoes catches her eye. She's down on all fours reaching for it when Jake suddenly reappears. Now that's a pretty sight, he says. Are you looking for something, babe? I I lost an earring. I thought it might have fallen under here, she lies, reluctant to tell him the truth. What she had been reaching for was a gun. Did you find it, he asks, crouching down to help in the search. He begins moving things around as if looking for the earring. No, don't worry about it. They were cheap earrings anyway, she says. So what are you doing back here? I thought you were already at work. I was, but I was worried about you, Jake lies. That's so thoughtful, so not like you, she says. Jake's face darkens for a moment, and Caitlin braces for a verbal blow. Now, is that any way to talk to the love of your life, he says, his face returning to its normal expression. Caitlin goes to him, and they embrace. He kisses her, then pushes away, saying, I've got to get to work. Save it for later, okay? In truth, he suddenly feels it by her touch. He turns and leaves the apartment. Caitlin is distracted and doesn't notice the gun is now gone. What was that about, she wonders. Finished dressing and primping, she leaves the apartment and walks several blocks to her car. He is careful never to park too near the building where Jake has rented their rendezvous. Once home, she checks the phone for messages while she feeds the dog. There are several, 
one is from the funeral home, <clears throat> asking her to stop by and finalize the arrangements for the judge's cremation. Another is from an old college friend who has heard about the murder, probably wants the juicy details, she thinks scornfully. <clears throat> Loud knocking on the door interrupts her thoughts. It is a detective accompanied by a uniformed officer. The detective, whose name is Thibodeau, is the one who had questioned her the night of the murder. Caitlin is repelled by the big man who smells of late night Bourbon Street. Mrs. Jensen, ma'am, may we come in, he asks. Yes, of course, she answers, leading them to her living room. She sits down on one of the pristine white couches, grimacing as the detective seats himself on the other. The detective says, there are a few discrepancies in your story I want to clear up if you have time. <clears throat> Caitlin calmly answers, of course. What is it you would like to know? You told us Miss Dumont and your husband Judge Jensen had been having an affair. Do you have any idea how long it had been going on? No, I have no idea. The first I heard of it was the night Alexander murdered my husband. Do you know Miss Dumont's boyfriend, Jay Collings? Feeling icicles forming on her spine, Caitlin answers, yes. Alexander brought him to one of my parties. Why? Please just answer the questions, Mrs. Jensen. The detective says, now sounding harsh, were you and Miss Dumont having an affair? Caitlin's reaction is genuine. She is stunned. What on earth are you talking about? We were friends. I thought we were friends. She worked for me. That's all. We never... Who told you this? She demands to know. We received an anonymous call last night from someone who claimed they had spoken to Miss Dumont. She allegedly told this person the two of you had planned the murder of your husband so you could leave the country and start a new life together. But you had a change of heart. She claimed you wanted to keep all the money for yourself, so you set her up. It was Jake, wasn't it, that bastard? Calm down, Mrs. Jensen. As I said, it was an anonymous tip. We were unable to trace the call. Please, who else could it have been? Did he also tell you he and I were having an affair? No, I didn't think so. Caitlin grabs her mouth as if trying to shut herself up. I didn't mean that. I don't know what I'm saying. I, Please, may I call my lawyer? Detective Thibodeau holds up his hand to silence her as he answers his ringing phone. Yes, I understand. Thanks. He disconnects and turns to Caitlin. Ma'am, you will have to come with us. We are going to book you for the murder of your husband. You'll be permitted to call your lawyer after we get to the station. Breaking down, Caitlin asks, but it's just his word. How can you believe him? I'm afraid it's not just anyone's word. We obtained a search warrant based on the tip and other evidence. We visited your office this morning. We found the murder weapon in your desk drawer. We spoke to some of your staff and they confirmed your marital relationship had become very rocky. One would one woman claimed to have heard you threatening your husband recently, he concludes. Caitlin holds her throbbing head in her hands. This can't be happening, she says. Impatiently glancing at the clock on the kitchen wall, <clears throat> Alexander wonders what is keeping Tom. The drugstore is only around the corner. Paranoia is starting to creep in when she finally hears his key in the lock. He has his arms full of bags as he enters and kicks the door closed with his foot. 
sorry it took so long, but I wanted to go to a store away from the neighborhood, somewhere they don't know me. Can't be too careful, he explains. Alexander agrees and asks what all of the additional bags are. Food. I wasn't really prepared for company, and there isn't much here to eat or drink. That was sweet of you, Alexander says, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here. The police will eventually discover I didn't commit suicide and come looking for me. Well, no matter how long it is, we have to eat, he says. Throwing her arms around his waist and burying her head in his chest, she sighs heavily. Thank you for everything you've done. I'm so sorry I'm disrupting your life this way. Tom swallows the lump in his throat and tells her, no need to be sorry, no need at all. All right, Alexandra says as she wipes the tears from her eyes. I better get moving if I want to be a blonde anytime soon. Occupying himself, putting away the groceries, and cleaning up the apartment, he's unaware how much time has passed. He turns around when he hears Alexandra behind him. Wow, he says. Blushing, she reaches up and runs her fingers through her newly blonde short hair. Really? It looks okay, she asks. If by okay you mean dropped in gorgeous, then yes, it looks okay. Thanks, she replies. How about we have some lunch, then figure out some kind of plan? Sounds good to me, Tom says. During lunch, Alexander questions Tom about the police investigation. Did they ask you any questions about me? About us, she wants to know. Yes, they came here on Sunday demanding to be let into your apartment. They asked me a few things, wanted to know how well we knew each other. I told them we were friends, but I didn't really know much about you. I told them you grew up in the convent on Dauphine Street and you went to college in New York. That's it? Alexander asks. Honestly, I don't know much more than that. I did, did tell them we had pizza together once a week. Didn't they want to know about my personality or anything, she asks. They did ask me if I believed you were having an affair with Judge Jensen. I told them, absolutely not. Is that the truth, Alexander asks. Of course, I know you well enough to know you wouldn't do a thing like that. Their lunch is interrupted by a knock on the door. They exchange questioning looks, then Alexander jumps up from the table, grabs her plate, and runs into the bedroom. Hang on one minute, Tom shouts out. I'll be right there. He dumps his plate and goes to answer the door. It is two uniformed officers. Sorry to bother you, Mr. Bouchard. I'm Officer Wallace, and this is Officer Penny. We need to get into Ms. Dumont's apartment again. Of course, just let me get the key, he says, and I'll walk up with you. Have you heard anything from Miss Dumont? Officer Wallace asks as they are walking up to use me, Tom answers. Do you mean have I contacted her through a seance or something? Sorry, I don't believe in that nonsense. No, I mean, have you spoken to her? Has she called you? I'm sorry, I'm lost. Alexandra is dead, isn't she? Actually, sir, what we believe she's still alive, the officer replies. Tom reaches out and grabs the railing. I hope this is a convincing performance, he thinks. Sorry, of course, you didn't know. Are you all right? Tom nods, pulls out his handkerchief, wipes his forehead, and asks the detective, How do you know she's alive? Have you seen her? No, but we received a tip from an unknown caller. 
This caller stated Dumont is still alive and that she and her boss were lovers and planned the judge's murder together, the detective says, carefully watching Tom's reaction. He doesn't mention the arrest of Caitlin or her side of the story. Really? Wow, that's some tale, Tom says. Do you think it's true? Don't know, but we're hoping we can turn up something in her apartment that will help us figure it out. Well, I'll leave you gentlemen to your job. Just drop the keys off when you're done here. Tom turns and walks back down the stairs. Waiting anxiously to learn what has happened, Alexander hears Tom return. She waits for him to open the bedroom door in case he is not alone. He knocks and she calls to him to come in. What's up? What did they want? She asks. Well, they are not convinced you committed suicide, he answers, sounding a little short. What was the story Caitlin came up with, she asks. It wasn't Caitlin. It was an anonymous caller who told them you were still alive and that you and Caitlin were lovers. Is it true? It's true. She approached me when I first began working for her. She is a very beautiful woman, and I was her employee. It was difficult to refuse her, but I did. She was fine with it. I see. Did you call... Did you call Jake last night? What? No, I didn't. Look, maybe I better leave. As soon as the cops are gone, I'll get out of your hair. It's the end of part four of Darker Demons. And if you'd like to find out what happens before I finish reading it, you can get it and read it for yourself at Amazon.com or at BarnesandNoble.com. And I hope you'll turn tune in next time to hear part five.